There is no God like Jehovah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Some of you might remember that uh, in July, around the 4th of July, I said, <clears throat> once the 4th of July comes and goes, it's a slide to, to Christmas. Am I right or wrong? Is it, has it flown by or what? Well, we are in the Advent season, the great and wonderful Advent season. And it's helpful to have a little understanding of what the Advent season meant, particularly to the ancient church 2,000 years ago. And for them, it became the beginning of a new year. And there were two very specific things that they celebrated in the Advent season. First of all, they celebrated that God's word is true. In other words, they had seen all throughout the Old Testament the promise that God made that someday he would send his Messiah into the world. And they had experienced and known Messiah Jesus. He had come to, uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection, then ascending to the Father. He gave to us eternal life, the moment that we trust in him as Lord and Savior. So they celebrated the Messiah came into the world. The second reason that they celebrated this time of year was that the New Testament was true as well. That God had promised not only that Jesus come into the world the first time, he would come back the second time. So each year at this time of year, they had a great expectation, great anticipation, and great hope that maybe, just maybe, this would be the year. This would be the year that Jesus would return for all those who believe. In fact, the very last words of the Bible, you might not uh, realize this, but the very last words of the Bible, uh, it's a Greek term, and the Greek term is Maranatha. And uh, early Christians in the first and second centuries, when they met one another on the road and they fellowshiped together, when they would depart and go their ways, each party would say to one another, Maranatha, because the last words of the Bible are this, even so, Lord Jesus, come soon. So their anticipation, their expectation, their hope was, and that's why we have a, a candle of hope that we'll, we'll be lighting in another week or so, the hope was, not only is Jesus our hope, but the hope is that maybe he will be coming, very, coming back very, very soon. When we look around the world today, we can't help but think that it may be that he is coming back very, very soon. Well, win, lose, or draw, this morning, what we're going to look at in, uh, in, in, this, in a passage, the Gospel of Luke, we'll do a little study of a man named John. You know him as John the Baptist. Do a little study of him. And what John is doing is exactly what we need to be doing. John was telling people, get ready. Get ready, because at any moment, the Lord is coming. So let's do that. Turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's find Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1 through verse 6, and uh, our reader this morning is, is our brother John Keeley is going to read it for us in English, and our brother Elaine is going to read it for us in French, and as they make their way to the pulpit, if you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of the Word of God. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman Emperor Potens Pilate. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Haran Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over, over Intuya and Triconus. Linnaeus was ruler over Al Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the highest priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to 
place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that, that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. The clear, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Mm. L'Évangile des Luc, chapitre 3, du verset 1 au verset 6. La quinzième année du règne des Tubères César, lorsque Ponce Pilate était gouverneur de la Judée, Hérode Tétraque de la Galilée, son frère Philippe Tétraque de Lituérée et du territoire des Tronconites, Lusénias Tétraque de la Bilène, et du temps des souverains sacrificataires Anne et Caïphe, la parole de Dieu fut adressée à Jean, fils de Zacharie, dans les déserts. Et il allait dans tous les pays des environs des Jourdains, prêchant le baptême de repentance pour la rémission de péchés, selon ce qui est écrit dans le livre de parole d'Ésaïe, le prophète. C'est la voix de celui qui crie dans les déserts. Préparez les chemins du Seigneur, aplanissez ses sentiers. Toute vallée sera comblée. Toute montagne et toute colline seront abaissées. Ce qui est tortué sera redressé et les chemins rabotés seront aplanés. Et toute chair verra les salut de Dieu. Lord, we thank you for your word, your powerful, wonderful word. We thank you for your promises that you would send Jesus into this dark world to be the light of the world. But we also thank you for the promise that someday Jesus is going to come back And let that be a reminder to us today that your expectation is that we will be ready. So, Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We need the, the, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds through the Word of God to get us ready because others are counting on us. So may your blessing be upon your Word. May your blessing be upon your people. And we pray for this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Thank you, John. Thank you, Elaine. In this, this wonderful time, of this time of year that we're, we're busy, we're behind on getting our gifts and all of that stuff, we are reminded through the Word of God that, that it may be that Jesus may be coming back very soon. And that God expects us, He intends for us to get ready, to be ready. Many of you know that uh, over the past week, week and a half, uh, my wife Peggy and I were in North Carolina with our daughter and and son-in-law, and, and uh, we've got two beautiful grandchildren. And throughout the week, we would go to different things and uh, diff either take somebody to school or whatever it might be. So our daughter would say to our two little granddaughters, girls, uh, we're going to go in a few minutes. Get ready. Well, they would have their iPads, and they would be like this, and they wouldn't pay attention at all. So a little while later, their mother would come back, see that they hadn't done anything, and they'd say, she would say, girls... We're leaving in a little bit. Get ready. They might raise their hand and say, okay, mom. A little while later she comes back and they're like this with their iPads. And then she would say, Claire and Anna, I told you we're leaving. Get ready. With that they would jump and they'd get ready. 
Now, that's a lot like us, isn't it? I mean, we, we hear about this, this idea, this concept. Someday Jesus is going to come back. We believe it, may not believe it, whatever we might, wherever you might be. But the truth of the matter is the promise has been for 2,000 years. And God is speaking into the lives of everybody, particularly into our lives, and telling us someday he's going to, get, he's going to return. It's a guarantee that he came the first time, it was proven, and it's guaranteed that someday he's going to come back the second time, and God declares to us, get ready. Now what we want to see in this passage, uh, Luke is talking about John the Baptist, and that's exactly what John was doing. He was going, we'll see that he was in a specific location, very important location for them and for us, and he was going about the countryside and he was telling people, get ready. The Lord is coming. Get your life ready. Get prepared in your mind. Everything about yourself, get ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. So Luke is helping us see three very specific things, three words, in fact, this morning that you and I can write down that will help us not only to hear what Luke has to say, but help us get ready in our minds, our souls, our bodies, and our schedules, everything about it, to get ready for the return of Jesus. So the first word that you're going to write down on your outline, if you, if you take it out for me, take it out of your bulletin, looks like this. First word you're going to write down is the word power, okay? Now, what we're talking about is God is my power. Uh, as you write that down, let me read to you from Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, they were living in a world of, of fear. You and I are living in a world where there's growing fear and there's growing anxiety throughout the world, and even more and more in our country because of, uh, of certain things that are unfolding. And that fear can be very powerful in our lives. Now, with that in mind, I want you to listen to verse 1 and part of verse 2 once again, because at first when you read it, you think, what on earth is this all about? Who cares who these guys are? But it'll make sense, in a, hopefully, in a moment. Verse 1, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, so a very specific time in history. And, and I want you to pay attention to that word reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, that was the uh, Jerusalem area. Herod Antipas was ruler of Galilee. He was an, what was called an Edomite. If you know Jacob and Esau, he would have been a descendant of Esau. Esau was a representation of rebellion against God. He was in position to keep the Jewish people in line. His brother Philip was ruler over Etruria and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. And Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests of the temple. Now, what is the importance? What, what's the big deal about naming these people? Well, Luke, first of all, is helping us understand, first and foremost, that these people were in power. They ruled the world, in essence. They were in power, and because they were in power, they were in control over all of the people, particularly over the Jewish people. And consequently, the Jewish people in particular were feeling very oppressed by these very powerful people. In fact... They were, they were hearkening back to the days of Moses. They were likening these people of power to be like Pharaoh. So they were feeling like their lives didn't mean anything. They, they felt oppressed. They felt like they were in slavery and bondage once again. And th in their hearts, they were yearning for a word from God because of these very, very powerful people. Now, there may be things in your life that you feel might not realize it, but you feel 
are very powerful. Maybe, maybe you're feeling a lot of financial pressure. Maybe, maybe a loved one or maybe yourself, you've, you've gotten a diagnosis that is frightening you. Uh, maybe there's something in your heart that you're holding against somebody else. But these are all different things in life that can be very powerful in our lives. And because they're very powerful in our lives, they have a way of reigning over our lives. They have a way of taking control of our lives. Now, what Luke wants the reader to know, and he wanted the Jewish people at that time to know, that something was about to happen. And what was going to happen was going to come from God. And it was going to be powerful. And it was going to be far more powerful than any of these rulers in the world. Now, what you and I need to be reminded of, that those things in our lives that can be very powerful, those things that can feel like they are controlling us, might be emotions, might be all kinds of different things, that there is something, someone, that is far more powerful than anything in this world that seems to control us. And that God's desire is that we would allow the power of that someone, Jesus, that he would be the one, that we would not be controlled by the things that frighten us, but that we would be controlled by Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. Because he, we're reminded this time of year, that he is the Prince of Peace. Now, this past week, I was watching uh, the Today Show, and probably many of you were watching all the reports on that horrible thing that happened this past week out in San Bernardino, uh, or, or last week in San Bernardino. And, but this week, uh, they were interviewing mothers, and particularly mothers in that area. And this one mother was saying that uh, whenever I go to a public place now and I sit down and somebody sits down beside me, right away in my mind I'm thinking, is this person going to turn and try to harm me? Or is this person going to turn and try to harm my children? And others were, psychologists were saying, this is how we need to counsel our children in light of the events that are happening throughout our country now, the violence that's happening. And so the, all of these things, and what they are is very, very frightening. And they can begin to control our lives. But just as 2,000 years ago is the same today, the message that God has for us is that the great and holy power is Jesus. And that our hearts and minds are not to be focused on the frightening things of this world. Jesus has overcome those things. And our hearts and minds are being controlled by his power, his grace, his love, his joy, and his peace. So that no matter what's going on in the world, that is the power that we invest our lives into. Now, it's all well and good to, to say these things, all well and good to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I, I believe that hold these things to be true, but how do we make that come alive in our lives? Well, uh, Luke is going to answer that question in the next verse or two. And, and the summation of how he's going to answer that is one word that I want you to write down is the word surrender. God calls you and me to surrender. How does God, how does Jesus' power become active in our lives? How do we get ready for the return of Jesus? What does he want to see us to, uh, being like when he does come, come back? He wants to see us surrendered to him. Now listen, as you write that down, I want to read to you from uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 14, verse 36. And it goes like this. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says this, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, you're familiar with that. I hope you're familiar with that, that passage and that story. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Luke says that he's sweating great drops of, of blood. He is in, in utter agony for about uh, what's about to unf unfold. 
But here's the inside story. When we hear the story of the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane, what we think of is that Jesus is, is suffering. He's in agony because he's about to, to be crucified. He's about to become sin for us. And that's true, but that's only part of the story. The depth of his agony is not that he's going to die for our sins. The depth of his agony is that he knows in his heart and in his life that for a moment in time, he is going to be separated from God. That's the depth of his agony. He can't imagine that 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 could possibly happen to him, that somehow, some way, he would be separated from the presence, the power, the love of God the Father, and the love of the Holy Spirit. And that's what was breaking his heart. But in all of that, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, Father, if it requires for me to suffer and die for the sin of humanity, that they might be rescued, that they might be brought to you, that they might be reconciled to you, that they might experience your love and joy and eternal life through faith in me, then, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And what is it teaching us? That through his agony, through his suffering, He was willing to put God's will first. He was in one heart and one mind with God the Father and and God the Holy Spirit. Now you think about that for ourselves. When it comes to our relationship with God, what what do we say if if we were honest with ourselves? God, yes, I want to spend some time with you. Yeah, I'll schedule you in. I'll see if i got a little bit of time on Wednesday afternoon or maybe Thursday morning, whatever it might be. That's kind of our heart, our, our relationship to God. But for Jesus, the thought that he would be separated from God for even a split second, brought great agony to his soul and to his spirit. But he was one with God. He was surrendered to God. His will was God's will. And what we're about to see in this passage is that God goes by all of the powerful people of the world and he goes to one man, this one man, John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah. Why? Because John was surrendered to God. The way you and I get ready for the return of Jesus, you know what it is? We experience his power by surrendering to God, surrendering to Jesus. Listen to what the scripture says next with me. In in, uh, the rest of verse 2, it says here in this translation, At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. A message from God. Now, I, I love this translation, but most translations, what they say is, the word of God came to, the, to John, the son of Zechariah. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The psalmist says, the unfolding of your word gives light, gives understanding to the simple. The writer of Hebrews said, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides even the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. The powerful word of God did not come to powerful people. It came to a humble person. John, why? Because John was surrendered to God, the power of God. And because of that, he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. Now, that, that's the question that God is going to ask you and me. Are we surrendered to him? Are we ready for his return? Are we ready for his return by being heart and soul surrendered to God and his word? Listen to what happens next, because location is always very important in the Bible. Listen to this. This message, this word of God came to John, uh, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. And if you look down in verse 3, it says John went from place to place, both sides of the Jordan River. Now these locations are important. First of all, the wilderness was very important to the uh, Jewish people. It, It conjured up all kinds of things in their minds. And here's why. God had delivered them from the power of Pharaoh. 
in the story of Exodus through the Red Sea, you, you know that story, and he brought them to the other side, and then he sent them into the wilderness. And it was there in the wilderness that they were sinning and rebelling against God, that their hearts were stubborn. Their will was set against God's will. But there was a second generation, and the second generation was led by Joshua, and he brought them to the Jordan River. And this generation was obedient to God, and therefore Joshua brought them to the Jordan River as God brought the uh, Israelites to the, the, the Red Sea. And when he brought them to the other side, they were victorious, and they were victorious because they were surrendered to God. Now, you and I have got to think about that in our lives, particularly with, with the idea that someday, and maybe someday soon, Jesus might return. Because there's all kinds of wildernesses in our lives. There's all kinds of anxieties and fears. There's all kinds of upset, disappointments, dis discouragements. There's all kinds of, of opportunities in life to be separated from the presence and the power of God, to be distracted from God. But there's also an opportunities for the Jordan River to be called back to God. So God gets us ready, but we've got to get ready for God. We've got to think about those things in our lives. What are the obstacles in our lives? What are the wildernesses in our lives that are separating for us from the blessings of God, the presence of a God in our lives? What are the things in our lives that are keeping us from growing in the grace and knowledge and the glory of God? Uh, so that if he does come back today, are we ready? Have we gotten ready? Are we getting ready? Now Luke goes on to tell us that in the rest of it, it says he was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. You see, John was getting people ready because Jesus, God in the flesh, God in the incarnation was about to step onto the world scene. And he's saying, get ready. He's coming. Get ready. Get your life ready. So people were leaving the, the cities, the villages, and they were going out into the wilderness where John was. And by doing that, they were demonstrating that they were ready to leave this world behind to align their lives with their purposes and the power of God by seeing Jesus. And he said, I don't want you to be doing just a ritual of baptism. I want you to understand that God wants your heart and your life to be changed. You see, the, the word repent in, in the New Testament is metanoia. It's a Greek word. And it means that an army is marching in one direction, the commander yells metanoia, and they turn around and they begin to march in another direction. You might be here today and you've been marching away from God, and God is calling you metanoia, repent, turn, and come back to him. For the Hebrew people, the word is teshuva, and teshuva means the same thing, to turn, to turn in your thinking, in your mind, and come back to God. And, and literally, to turn and come back, physically come back to God. And that's what John was doing, to be baptized. Get ready, he's coming. Be prepared. What are the things in your life that are preventing you from knowing more of Christ? What are the things in your life that are causing you to be in a wilderness? In 1781, there was a uh, British general by the name of Cornwallis. And Cornwallis was seeking to, to defeat the Patriots, if you know the story, in uh, York, Yorktown. Well, there was a, a Patriot commander, an American commander, by the name of Thomas Nelson. And he gathered his troops together uh, just outside of Yorktown. And he pounded, appointed at a beautiful brick home. And he said to them, That's, do you see that house? That's my house. And it's the best house there is in this area. But he said, what I want you to do is I want you to bomb that house. 
And in fact, the first shot, they said, the history records, the first shot that was fired at the house went through the living room window, landed on a table where, where, Cor uh, where Cornwallis' generals were plotting and planning their next attack. Now, here's what Thomas Nelson understood. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He knew that he had to give up the best that he had to gain something greater. And you see, that's what John is saying to those in the wilderness. You get ready by understanding you need to give up the best that you have because God has something greater. And the only way that you and I can do that is to surrender. Surrender everything that, is, that we think is ours. Give it back to God so that our hearts and our lives are prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. God's message to us is this. Get ready. And here's the reason why he wants us to get ready. The third one I want to write down is the word instrument. You see, John was God's instrument. He wasn't an instrument. He was God's instrument. When God came to Moses, he said, you are going to be my instrument. I have heard the cries of my people. I'm going to set them free, and I'm going to use you to be my instrument to set them free. Now, what God says to, to Moses and what God says to John, he's saying to you and me as well. That God intends for you and me not to be an instrument, to, but, but to be God's instrument in the lives of people all around us. But we've got to get our lives prepared for his life to live through us into the world around us. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And the one that died, di he who died was resurrected again so that he who believe in him should not live for themselves but for, live for him who has died and was resurrected once again. So what is the message? The message is that through faith in Jesus Christ we have been resurrected with Jesus and we've been resurrected with Jesus so that we don't live for ourselves but we live for Jesus. That we are his instruments in a broken world. Now with that in mind, listen to what, uh, what Luke tells us in verse 4. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Do you remember what my daughter had to do with my kids to get their attention? She had to shout at them. And sometimes God is calling out to you and me because we're in the wilderness. And he's saying to us, get ready. It can happen at any moment, at any hour. Jesus is coming back. Get your life aligned with me so that you will be my instrument that I can use to, to impact the world around you. He goes on to say, prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord's coming. He's saying this is not a new religion. It's not a new philosophy. It's not a new idea. It's God himself in the flesh coming into the world. And that's what's going to happen with the second coming of Jesus. It's going to be God himself in the flesh, in Christ Jesus, coming with a, the, 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 the command of the archangel and a trumpet blast. And he's going to physically come back into this world. And he wants you and me to be ready. But he wants us to be ready so that we can get others ready. Others will hear the gospel message. Others will come out of the darkness into the light. He says, clear the road for him. The valley will be filled. And the mountains and hills be made level. The valley will be filled. When we think of valleys in our lives, we think of darkness. We think of things that disappoint us, things that worry us, things that are anxious. But what did King David say in, in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In those, in those valleys, God is with us. 
Then he goes on to say the mountains and hills are made level. Now for mountains in scripture, time and time again, that's a, that's a metaphor, it's a picture of God's authority, God's power. The, uh, the Ten Commandments were given at a mountain. Jesus sat down at the mountainside and he taught the disciples. But at the same time, mountains and hills in the scripture are, are metaphors and they're pictures of obstacles that keep us from the power of God. What are the obstacles in your life that are keeping you from getting ready for the return of Jesus? Jesus said, if you have faith the size of the grain of mustard seed, speak to that mountain and it'll be cast into the sea. He doesn't say, I will speak to the mountain, you speak to the mountain. Because you know the power of Christ. You've surrendered to that power. And then you become an instrument of Christ. And your words matter and they count. He goes on to say that the curves will be straight and the rough places made smooth. Some translations say the crooked roads will be straightened. I got a lot of crooked stuff in my life. I don't know about you. It needs to be straightened out. The rough places in my, in my life need to be smoothed out because I want to get ready for the return of Jesus. And then verse 6 is where he's going with all this. He says, then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. See, for, for the Bible, for the Word of God, salvation means wholeness. The moment that we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are made whole in Christ. John is saying Jesus is coming. You're going to see his salvation. You're going to see his wholeness. The Word of God, the Spirit of God is speaking to us today, saying he's coming back. Get ready. The world is going to see his wholeness. But then it's going to be too late for them. But not for you and me. You and me are to be anxious, looking forward to that return. But looking forward to that return, we've got to be ready. We've got to know the power of God, surrender to the power of God, so that we become an instrument of God. Take a look at the bottom of your second side of your paper with me, if you would. I pulled out a passage from Romans 13 this morning for us. And what, what I'm going to challenge you to do, I'm going to challenge you to highlight this in your Bible, maybe underline it in your Bible, and then maybe two, at least two or three times this week, maybe even in the morning when you get up, take, pick up your Bible, read this passage so that it reminds you that God is calling you and me to get ready. And here's what Paul says. And do this. So it's a command to all of us. Do this. It's not a suggestion. Understanding the present time, and all we got to do is look around, read the newspaper, watch the, new, watch the TV in the morning, go on the internet. We can understand the times are getting more and more frightening, aren't they? Understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up. It's like my grandchildren, wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's 2,000 years ago that Jesus promised to come back. So it may be that it's going to be very soon, but we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. Johnny, many, many of you are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, and she's a wonderful woman of God, beautiful woman of God. And uh, I don't know if it was an autobiography or she was sharing in a sermon once that uh, when she was uh, young, she had received Jesus as Lord and Savior. She became born again. But she said, my life was all about me. She said that, uh, yes, I went to church. Yes, I worshiped God. But at the same time, I was the captain of the hockey team. I was on the cheerleading team. Uh, I, I was doing all these, these great things in school, and I had a plan for my life. It was all worked out in my mind. I was going to marry a very wealthy guy who's going to make $250,000 a year, and the two of us were going to have children. We are going to have 2.5 children. And she said, everything about my life was about me. And she said, one Friday night, I had been out on a date with my boyfriend, and when I came home late at night, she began to say in her mind and started thinking, she started saying, Lord, 
you know, what my boyfriend and I are doing, mm, it's not right. We shouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. And so it was beginning to convict her in her heart. And so she said a little prayer and she said, Lord, I want you to change me. I want you to start making me the person that you want me to be. Well, three weeks later, she jumped into an unfamiliar river, stream, lake, whatever it was. She wasn't familiar with where she was swimming. She jumped in headfirst and she broke her neck and she became, instantly became a quadriplegic. Well, after that, she said that she became very bitter and angry at God. And in her bitterness and her anger, she said, she prayed this, Lord, I will never trust you again with any of my prayers. I'll never trust you again with any of my prayers. Well, God, because he's good and gracious and kind and loving and compassionate, he worked on Johnny's heart. And as he worked on her heart, her heart began to change. And a while after that, I don't know how long it was, it was quite a long time after that, she prayed another prayer. But this time she prayed this. Lord, because I can't die, show me how to live. Because I can't die, show me how to live. You see, that anger and that bitterness had become very powerful in her life. She was focused on it, everything about it her suffering. But God caused her to begin to surrender to him, to repent, to turn, to come back to him. And as she did that, she became an instrument, his instrument. And now God uses her all over the world, witnessing to, teaching people, preaching to people, comforting people that are going through what she's going through. She has become God's instrument to bring his grace and mercy and love and peace and joy to people that are suffering all over the world. There are powerful things in your life today, I know, that are controlling you. But God is saying, look away from those things. Look to my son Jesus. And the way you do that is not gutting it out, gritting your teeth, it's surrendering, giving up. And as you do that, you're going to become his instrument in the world. You know why? Because he's coming back. And we've got to get ready. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you that in this Advent season, we celebrate that you are holy, you are powerful, your word is true. You, you sent Jesus Messiah into this dark world. He is the light of the world. In him was light, and that light was the life of men. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness could not overcome it. But that light has come into our hearts, and you've given to us a promise. The promise is someday you're sending Jesus back into this world. But you don't intend for us to be caught unaware. Far from it. You intend for us to be ready, to get ready. And Lord, we pray that we confess before you this morning that that isn't always necessarily true in our lives. And we can get caught up in the powerful things of this world, frightened by the powerful things, distracted by the powerful things. But help us in, our, in your grace that we might surrender to you, to Jesus. Because God, we know that you want to make us your instruments in a world that's in desperate need of Jesus. 
Now, you might be here this morning, this might sound a little strange to you. Uh, the power of God, uh, b- being an instrument of God. And maybe it's because you've never, sur- you've never done that. You've never surrendered to Christ Jesus. You've never become born again. Well, if that's the case, God is speaking to you right now, and he wants to make it perfectly clear what's being said, that you need to do what John was talking about. You need to repent of your sin. You need to understand that, that without Christ, God's going to someday, he's, you're going to see him on Judgment Day. All of us will see him on Judgment Day, but for you, he's going to hold you accountable for your sin. He's going to make it perfectly clear that because of your sin, you, you are condemned. And in God's condemnation, his justice is a place called hell. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to be with him in heaven. But you've got to make your decision today, not someday in the future. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would do it right. You would seize the opportunity. Seize it right now. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you've got tomorrow. And what I want to do is lead you through a simple prayer. That's that's what's amazing about God. He just calls you to surrender. He doesn't call you to do anything magnificent or wonderful. Just humble yourself before Him. Surrender yourself to Him. And you can do that by simply saying this. In the quietness of your own mind and in your own heart, God knows your thought before you even think it. And say, Lord God, I confess to you that I've sinned against you. Just say that. Lord God, I confess to you that I've sinned against you. No big mystery here. And I'm sorry for my sins. And then say, Lord, I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. Simple as that. Now here's the critical part. What you need to say to God is this. Here and now, I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Just just open your heart to say, God, come on in. Jesus, come on in. I've made a mess. I want you to come in and clean up the mess. And then say only what faith can say. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Isn't that crazy? God became a human being. God came into this world. God died for you. God was resurrected for you. And all he expects of you is to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. And then say, God, I want to live my life for you. Now I want to be your instrument. I've experienced your power. I've surrendered to it. Now let me be your instrument in this world. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if if you've said that prayer, you don't need me to tell you something pretty dramatic, powerful, wonderful has happened. And what has happened is God's forgiven you of your sins, past, present, and future, and he's flooded your heart with his love. He now lives inside of you. And I would simply ask you that you, before you leave this building, that you'd let me know, maybe let one of the, the deacons that came forward earlier for the, for the communion, let them know. Let somebody know that's a way of sealing the deal. In the meantime, Lord, 
the rest of us, we hang around you, we love you, but we confess once again that we can, it's very easy, we're like sheep, we wander away from you. And if you came back today, came back this afternoon, the truth of the matter is, we'd be kind of embarrassed. But we don't want to be embarrassed, Lord. We want today to be the day, yes, I'm going to repent, yes, I'm going to turn back, yes, I'm leaving the stuff of the world behind. I'm going to start getting serious with you. I'm going to start surrendering more and more to you. I'm going to give my life to you. So glory, hallelujah, Lord. In this Advent season, we praise you and thank you because you and your grace, you're getting us ready. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.